Amen. Well, we are continuing our journey throughout the book of Philippians this morning. Let me just say once again, we are so glad that you are here this morning, that you have made the choice that you are going to be worshiping this morning with a body of believers. Let me just say on behalf of everybody here at Greensburg Baptist Church, we are so thankful that you're here. So again, we are journeying through the book of Philippians this morning, and as I have done in each of these messages from this particular sermon series, there are two pieces of information that I'd like for us to review every time that we are in this book, and the first is the context. Context is always so important. You have heard us say that over and over again, and it really is true. Context is so important when we are studying God's Word. In the context of the book of Philippians, here's what you need to know about that. Paul wrote the book of Philippians, and he wrote it from prison while he was detained in prison, and he wrote it to the church in Philippi somewhere between A.D. 55 and A.D. 62. And then the other thing that I think is always important for us to keep in mind as we make our way throughout the book of Philippians is the theme of Philippians. Now, if you read all through the book of Philippians, it becomes apparent that there is a common theme throughout the book of Philippians. It repeats over and over again, and it's not an accident that it repeats over and over again. In fact, it's intentional. But here's the theme of the book of Philippians. It's that Paul rejoices in his partnership with the Philippians, and he does that in the midst of adversity. This morning, we're in chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. We're going to begin in verse 12. So I encourage you, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Philippians chapter 3 and find verse 12. We are going to take some time this morning and read God's Word. And as I often do, if you are physically able to stand this morning, would you stand right now to honor the reading of God's Word? Again, Philippians 3, beginning with verse 12, and we're going to continue through the end of this chapter. God's Word says this, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank You so much for the reading of Your Word. Our text is so 
rich this morning. Father, I pray that you will show me favor as I preach this message that you've placed on my heart. Father, I pray that I will point these people to you and to the cross. Lord, I pray that we will see you at work in a mighty way this morning. Father, I pray, I pray that you will strengthen me and empower me to faithfully preach this message. And Father, as I often pray, I pray that if there is one here this morning, whether they're here in person or whether they are hearing my voice right now on the live stream or on the radio, if there is a person that is hearing this this morning that does not know you as as their Lord and Savior, Father, I pray that this will be the day that we see you save souls. And Lord, for that, we will give you praise, honor, and glory for it all. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the title of this morning's message is Press On. And as we proceed this morning through this sermon, I want you just to keep an image in your mind. And it's of an athlete, of a runner specifically, that is in a race. They are running the race. And I want you to take it one step farther than that. Imagine that not only is it a runner in a race, they are at the point in that race where they can see the finish line. They can see the finish line. We're go- that's going to be important here in just a few moments, that analogy, as we look at the text. And I'll tell you, I had looked in various places for a picture of a runner in a race, and I could not find one that I wanted to use. And so I reached out to my friend Carla and said, do you have a picture of a runner in a race? And I said, it would be better if we didn't know the people <laughs> so we can put them on the screen. And so she found one. I don't think we know any of these people in the picture, but I'm thankful for the millions of pictures that Carla has that is willing to share with us. But again, keep in mind, press on, press on. Now, I want to remind you real quick, to this point in our journey, in chapter 1, we saw Paul give us the example of how we truly can live a life of joy, even in the midst of adversity. And he also showed us how, in any and every circumstance, we can rejoice always. In chapter 2, we saw four excellent examples of what it looks like to live a life that is full of humility. And as Christians, that's the type of life that we are called to live as well. And then in chapter 3, last time, we saw two examples of what a true and genuine relationship in Jesus Christ will allow us to do. And the first was it helps us to detect false teachers. And remember, the way that works is that because we have a true and genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the real thing, the moment that we hear somebody teaching or preaching something that's contrary to God's will, if we're truly in Christ, we will detect that because our lives as Christians are to be spent imitating Christ. And then the other thing that we saw last week is that a true and genuine relationship with Jesus Christ, it exposes, it exposes pride. Pride is not something that is to be on display in the life of a Christian. Our only boast, remember, the title of last week's sermons, our only boast is in Jesus Christ. That's where our boast is. As Christians, we are to desire the same thing as Jesus Christ because we desire Jesus. We desire Jesus. This morning, we are going to see two more specific examples 
as we close out chapter 3. The first thing that we see is that godly motivation is expressed when a person truly knows Jesus Christ. As Christians, what we're supposed to be doing is constantly pressing on, specifically toward spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ. And in verse 12, Paul points out he's not there yet. He has not arrived yet. And as a result, he's pressing on. And, you know, when we think of the Apostle Paul stating that he hasn't obtained this yet, when he states that he's not perfect, but instead he's pressing on because he hasn't arrived yet, it really should grab our attention. It really should grab our attention. Paul still has to deal with what is described in Romans chapter 7 as the flesh. He still has to deal with that. Remember, sin is always at work. And while Paul deals with the sinful flesh, it causes him to realize the great need for spiritual work or spiritual maturity, spiritual growth in his individual life. But with that, Paul presses on. He knows that at this point, he has not reached the knowledge of Jesus Christ that Christ desires of him to have. And he also realizes that in Jesus at this point, he has not become all that Jesus wants him to be. Now, remember last Sunday, I spent some time talking about that encounter that that, um, Paul, previously known as Saul, had with Jesus Christ on the Damascus Road. Remember, I said that experience blinded him. At that moment... That man that we used to know as Saul, he did a complete about-face, and he went from being a violent persecutor of the church, he went from being a violent persecutor of Christians to being possibly the most bold evangelist that this world has ever seen. He did that. That encounter on the Damascus Road, let's just say it, it completely changed his vision. And remember I said last week that if we've had a true encounter with Jesus Christ, we will be changed too. You know, if if somebody tells us, I'm following Jesus, but then they live just like the world, something is wrong. That is not the desire of Christ for any of us. Now, Paul realized from that moment that Jesus is the salvation experience. It's not Jesus plus anything else. And Paul realized that the more that we live, the longer that we live, the greater the opportunity we have to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, remember I told you I wanted you to keep this image of an athlete or a runner running a race in your mind. That's very important here in verses 13 and 14. And I want you to imagine that runner in the race And they have reached the point in the race where they can see the finish line. They can see it with their eyes, the finish line. Now, at that moment in time, are they concentrating more on what's behind them or what's ahead of them? What's ahead? That's exactly right. Because they know if they stop, if they turn around and they look to see what's behind them, races are lost by a millisecond. 
If they turn around, it can cause them to lose the race. So they are forgetting. They've made the choice. In this moment, I'm forgetting what's behind me. I can see the finish line. I'm going to press on. That's exactly what Paul is telling us here. We've got to forget what's behind us. Those things in the past, we've got to forget those things. Church, we can see the finish line. We can see the finish line. We must keep our eyes on that finish line, and we must press on. We have got to continually focus on the finish line. And you know, when, when Paul makes this statement that he forgets what's behind him, it really is significant. I want you just to imagine with me a moment Again, let me just remind you really quickly. Paul, who we previously knew as Saul, was a violent persecutor of Christians. He had them killed. He persecuted the church. But then he had that encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road, and his life changed. But did that change the past, or did it change the future? It changed the future, didn't it? Can you imagine the tremendous load of guilt that Paul could have had at this very moment of all the things that he did wrong in his past? Hear me say this this morning. If the enemy can sideline you and cause you to focus on your past, instead of focusing on the finish line, The enemy's got you right where he wants you because the enemy knows as long as we are moping over our past, we're not going to be effective for Christ in the future. We've got to focus on the finish line just exactly like Paul did. Paul knows that day is coming where he's going to stand before Jesus face to face and he is going to hear Jesus say, Well done, my good and faithful servant, enter in. He knows that day's coming. He knows what the finish line is. Church, focus on the finish line. We can see it. It is in sight. Don't take your eyes off of it. Now, when Paul uses the word mature here in verse 15, he is referring specifically to Christians who are spiritually mature. And he is so confident about what he's saying here. He is so confident that what he is preaching, what he is teaching is right, that he's making the statement, look, if you disagree with me, the day's coming where the Lord's going to show you that you are wrong. He knows that he is correct. And he's saying here in verse 16, hold true, hold true to what we have obtained. Church, it's time, just like that athlete who is running the race, who is in sight of the finish line, they typically kick it in high gear, don't they? When they see that line, whatever is still left in them that will give them strength, they kick that in. They press on as fast as they can toward that finish line. Church, it's time that we kick it into high gear. It is time that we kick it into high gear and keep it in that gear until the day that Christ calls us home or the day that he comes back first, whichever happens to be first. Now, as we look at the remaining section of verses from our scripture this morning, from this morning's text, 
The other truth that we're going to see is ungodly living is exposed when a person truly knows Jesus Christ. We begin to see that in verse 17. Now, I'm going to show you a, a slide that I came across this week. And I, I will say I am certain that whoever developed this slide in the way they did, they meant it for Father's Day. It, it's obvious that the way this slide is presented, they meant it for Father's Day. But I, I didn't see it in time for Father's Day. I saw it as I was preparing this particular message. And guess what? It applies to this truth that I've got on the screen right now. That ungodly living is exposed when a person truly knows Jesus Christ. I'm going to share with you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. I hope you can see that on the screen. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. Train up a child in the way he should go, but be sure you go that way yourself. I want to remind you, parents, our children are watching us. The easy part is training them up in the way that they should go. The hard part's living that way in front of them, isn't it? That's the hard part. But we're expected to do it. We're expected to live a godly life in front of our children we, may, we can never forget that eyes are watching us. All eyes are watching us, by the way. And that includes the ones that are inside our house with us. So are we living a godly life in front of our children, in front of our families? And then are we living a godly life in front of the world that we're called to bear witness to, of Jesus Christ? Are we living that? Are we showing the world a reflection of Jesus Christ, our perfect Lord and Savior, or do we show them something else? Now, Paul is asking them, beginning in verse 17, to, to join in imitating him. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul is very clear the example is Jesus Christ. Paul can be used as an example because Paul's life is imitating that of Christ Jesus. But verse 18 is one that I want to focus on for just a moment. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, so often... When we think of Paul, I, I will tell you, this is the trap I fall in a lot. Y'all have heard me say many times, especially since I've done the sermon series that Paul authored the books of. The more that I learn about this Apostle Paul, the more and more that I'm looking forward to meeting him one day in heaven. After I see Jesus, of course, I don't know how many years that will be in the, you know, as we are face to face in Jesus I don't know how long that period is going to be. It's going to be for all eternity. But at some point, I think we'll be able to talk to other people in heaven. And Paul is one of the people that I want to personally see. But I will tell you so often when I think of Paul, I think about his incredible boldness. And there's, there's no question about it. This man is bold. 
He is very bold, and I appreciate that about him. But how often do we stop and think about this bold man named Paul shedding tears? Now, it's very plain that's on screen right now. He does shed tears. And he's shedding tears because he is burdened for these people who are not following Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I'm going to tell you, when I read that this week, as I was preparing for this sermon, the Lord caused conviction to fall on me. And I had to ask myself the question, how often do I shed tears because of the spiritual condition of anybody? Really. Now, remember, as I'm asking these questions to you, I'm asking them to me also. You always say, like, when you point a finger at somebody, there's three pointing back at you, right? So it's a give. I want you to understand I'm asking myself this question, too. But how often? When was the last time? Maybe this would be a better way to ask this question. When was the last time that we have wept because of the spiritual condition of somebody? Because we are fairly sure at this moment in time they're on their way directly to hell. When's the last time that we've wept? Even for a family member. Now, to take it outside of that, when's the last time that we've wept for a stranger that's on their way to hell? I pray that God will help us have compassion like that. And I know I've said before, and hear me say this in love today, but I'm absolutely convinced until the church of Jesus Christ in the United States of America carries that burden, carries that brokenness for strangers who are on their way to hell to the point where we weep for their spiritual condition, we're not going to see revival. We're not going to see true revival in the church. But I want to encourage you this morning. As believers, we have good news. We know how this story ends. We can see the finish line. Keep your eyes on it and tell everybody you see about Jesus. As if today were the last opportunity. Because it very well might be. It very well might be. Let's point those people to Jesus. Let's point everyone to Jesus. Paul is very clear in verse 19 what the future is for all who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Now, one thing you might not realize about this particular text, Paul's focusing on a large audience here. Part of the audience that he's talking about here are the Jews that I talked about last week that were insisting that salvation is based on faith in Jesus plus adherence to all of these laws and rituals. Those people are definitely in his group. But let me tell you who else is in the group that he's referring to. Greeks and Romans who had virtually laid aside anything and everything that could even possibly restrict them on any level about sensuality. He was writing to them too. It was a big, big audience. Those particular people, they were emphasizing the material. They were emphasizing the physical. Again, they desired to live in complete freedom of anything that had the potential of restraining their physical desires. And can I just ask a question this morning? Does that sound vaguely familiar? If you watch the news, 
if you read the news, however you get your news. And let me just take it a step further than that. If your eyes are open when you're out in society, it is so plain to see that the world is trying hard to call things that the Bible describes clearly as sin as it's okay. Hear me say this morning, it's not okay. It never has been okay. It never will be okay. God's Word has not changed, nor will it change. I think we're seeing a lot of what Paul describes here today. And you know, when we are running the race, we are in a race. Again, keep your mind on the runner in a race. We're in a race. Although we can see the finish line, it may be a while before we cross the finish line. Keep your eyes on it anyway. Keep your eyes on Christ anyway. While you're running the race, don't be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Paul gives us some great news here as he finishes out this text. He says our citizenship. He's talking about the citizenship of those who are truly Christians. Our citizenship is in heaven. Amen. And from it we await a Savior And his name is Jesus. He is our Lord, Jesus Christ. And on that day, here's what he's going to do. He's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And he's going to do it by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Can somebody please say amen to that? That is the best news that I can give you today. When you hear stuff like that, don't hold an amen back. Say amen. Is that good news this morning? Amen. Amen. You know, I I have reminded you a few times the last few weeks that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Let's never miss an opportunity to praise Him. Let's remember that we are in a race. We're in a race. It's a race worth running. It is a race worth running. Paul, in our text today, he's looking forward to that day when he's going to stand before Jesus face to face. And you know what? If we're in Christ, we should be looking forward to that day too. It's nothing to dread. It is nothing to dread standing before Jesus if we are truly in Christ. But for the people who aren't, it is definitely a day to dread. And it's a day that's coming. It's a day that people will not escape. I often say that day is either going to be glorious or it's going to be disastrous. And there is no in-between. There is absolutely, absolutely no in-between. But while we're here, let's run the race. Let's run it with everything we've got. Let's focus on that finish line that I believe we can see today. I wonder, do you know this man named Jesus Christ? Do you know him? If you don't, today would be an excellent day for you to give your life to him. As I often do, I want, I want to tell you how a person comes to faith in Jesus Christ. And Ms. Karen, I'm going to go ahead and disconnect from the system here. I'm going to try to. But you know, it, Vacation Bible School is coming up, and it truly is 
as easy to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior as we teach kids that it is in vacation Bible school. Imagine that. We really are telling the truth. It really is easy. We really are sharing good news in vacation Bible school. We have to, in order to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, it's the ABCs of Christianity. The A is that we've got to be willing to admit that we're a sinner, that there are things in our life that is called sin, things that don't honor God, that have caused a separation to be between us and God. We've got to be willing to admit that. The B stands for believing that Jesus is God's Son. We've got to be willing to believe that Jesus is who the Scriptures define Him and describe Him as. We've got to be willing that He really did do every one of those things that are listed in Scripture. We've got to be willing to believe that He lived a life here on this earth that contained absolutely no sin, none whatsoever. He's the only perfect person that there's ever been. He was such a perfect person that he was willing to die on the cross for us so that we could have eternal life. The B also means that we've got to believe that he died. He physically died on the cross. He was, his body was removed from the cross that was placed in a tomb. Three days later, he rose. And that's why we celebrate Easter. We've got, to, we've got to be willing to believe every bit of that. And the C stands for confess. We've got to confess our sins. We've got to confess that Jesus is Lord. And part of that confessing process is exactly like what Paul experienced on the Damascus Road. He did a complete about face. We do too. If we are truly in Christ, we do a complete about face. At the moment of salvation. Does that mean that we'll never sin? Unfortunately, it does not mean that. But what it does mean is that we will not be happy with sin in the future. We will feel conviction of sin in the future after we come to Jesus Christ. And perhaps, maybe you're listening to the live stream this morning and you're thinking, you know, it's been an awfully long time since I felt any conviction of sin that could indicate a big problem. And I'm saying that as lovingly as I can. We live in the midst of a sinful world. If we never feel any conviction, something's probably wrong. And I would encourage you to lay that at the foot of the cross. And there would be no finer day to do that than today. So I wonder, do you know him today? I want to encourage you to go ahead and bow your heads as our musicians come forward. Perhaps you're here today and you've got a burden of some type that you're carrying. I want to encourage you to come forward, lay that burden at the foot of the cross. Your burden will be lighter. The moment that you give it to Jesus, your burden will be lighter. Perhaps you need to come today and pray about something. I encourage you to use this altar Perhaps there are others of you that are here this morning that you, you want to unite in membership with this church. I would encourage you to come forward today during this time of invitation. Whatever the need is, I pray that you will come. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. Lord, your word tells us that you've made this day. And because of that, we should rejoice. 
and be glad. Lord, I pray that each and every day of our lives, we will, we will think about that tremendous sacrifice that you made for us on the cross. Lord, may we never take that lightly. Father, I pray right now for people who are hearing my voice that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that your powerful conviction will fall upon their hearts and on their lives. Lord, I pray that they would be able to realize what it would be like to stand before you when our lives are over here, not knowing you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that they will be compelled to come forward and to receive you as their Lord and Savior today. Father, perhaps there's others who are carrying burdens. Lord, I pray that, that they would realize that at the foot of the cross, the ground truly is level. And what I pray that they would lay their burdens there. Lord, I pray that whatever the decision is, Lord, may, I pray that you will move mightily during this time of invitation. And Father, for all that you will do, we give you the praise, honor, and the glory for it all. And it's in your name I pray. Amen.